Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have an absolute legend of a guest making his first appearance. You guys are going to be blown away. This is Rafa. He's going to be telling you his whole entire story, but specifically what brought him to Thailand. Now, I know a large per percentage of the audience is probably coming from his side because we don't have much of one. So uh, nice to meet you guys. Who are we? Fruiting Body is a medicinal mushroom company. Now we're doing functional mushrooms. It's all legalized stuff. Cordyceps, uh, lion's mane, reishi, all that good stuff. Uh, apparently we're number one in Thailand now. So go check it out. It's on Lazada, soon on e-commerce for international shipping. Do not forget to like, subscribe, uh, do all that fun stuff. It helps with engagement. We're growing, uh, I think, uh, at a good pace now. Uh, I think this is episode 109 or 110. So let's get this podcast started. Without further ado, Rafa. Okay, um, as we are talking, your audience is introducing to the podcast and yeah. mine is introducing to you. Yeah. Let's start on the journey. Who is Rafa? Tell us your story, where you're from, and what are you all about? Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Thank Real you for pleasure. coming. Real honor. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, it's amazing to be here in Phuket, Thailand with uh, new friends uh, and new relationships. Um, very excited and looking forward to this. And funnily enough, um, I came across your podcast um, some months back and I thought it'd be really cool to jump on this guy's show sometime. And it happened like uh, the most organic way possible. So thank you for this opportunity, man. Actually, thank um, you to, it was Joey. Joey, Joey's man. Joey's like, oh, you should check out Rafa. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I call her the yellow pages, man. She's yeah, amazing. She, she yeah. knows everybody. Thank you. Yeah. Salamat, salamat yeah. to Joey. Yeah, I think Joey is- Our is sister. She, if there's going to be like a, an awards or a hall of fame of Phuket. Definitely. I mean, Joey has to be the first one inducted. For sure, we should we should uh, definitely build a little statue for Joey somewhere in Phuket. <laughs> Maybe down at Luca <laughs> in the soy. Um, so I, you, you shared a lot of your information. Yes, you, you have a very unique backstory. Sure, you, your parents are coming from the the military side, but sure, you're Australian, but you, you're living in Uruguay as well. well. Actually, not not from the military. Quite the opposite. Um, my my parents are from a, a generation uh, in the '60s and '70s which suffered through military dictatorships. Uh, in South America, particularly Uruguay, Argentina, Chile. It was orchestrated across the whole continent by something which was denied for a long time, but the CIA was behind it. It's called Plan Condor. Uh, it's been declassified in their own documents where, where the United States was behind uh, the taking down of all these democratically elected left-leaning governments and were installing military coups. Uh, Pinochet obviously is a very famous one from Chile, perhaps because, um, you know, for all the wrong reasons, let's say. Uh, but uh, our, my parents grew up in that era. Um, my mother uh, was uh, in university. Uh, she had uh, her own friends disappeared, which is the term, which means they went missing, never to be found. And my father was also heavily involved, a militant. Um, his uh, brother uh, was a member of the Tupamaro uh, armed guerrillas. So... All of that leads uh, my parents to want to get out of Uruguay, South America, and travel to Australia, where subsequently my sister and I were born. Uh, following the, the, um, the end of the dictatorship, we returned to Uruguay. I was actually very young, so my earliest memories are in, in Uruguay, not in Australia, which kind of uh, makes it a little bit funny, a little bit different for me, I guess, because I am born in Australia, but... I feel very much Latino, you know, very much Latin American. But at the same time, I was uh, very uh, lucky, very fortunate to then return to Australia for my high school years and then my entire business life, music life, performance life 
he's more on the Australian side than the the Uruguayan side. And most people are are going to know you for the music side. True. A little bit of a backstory. True. When you were younger, like uh, again before coming into high school in Australia, sure. what was your first influence into the music scene? Sure. So uh, when I was a young kid growing up in Uruguay, um, we listened to all types of music. Uh, most people think of Latinos as like salsa, you know, like yeah, 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 yeah. Which which we do have that, but we actually listen to a lot of uh, uh, rock music and techno music. So we had all those uh, genres growing up as a kid. A lot of R and B, a lot of um, uh, black music essentially mm -hmm. we had uh, lots of stevie wonder michael jackson um shout out to my mama in heaven uh, she used to play that music while she was cleaning the house so um yeah so i started going to parties very young in primary school as you do in uruguay back in those days but it was kind of already going urbanish uh so and i particularly had a, a had a, a taste or a like for more urban sound so um definitely coming into australia then as a teenager uh, with the explosion of like gangster rap and Tupac, N.W.A. Uh, and all those music styles, that that became like my thing, and I've been hip hop uh, for a very, very, very long time, essentially since I wasn't even a teenager. Uh, which led on to um, my cousin and I uh, forming our own hip hop crew with a Latin twist. Uh, we're talking late nineties now. Ila um, Familia, uh, immigrant Latino Australian family. Um, which was, we were the first uh, Spanish rappers in, in Australia. And, and with that, we, we toured the country, did a whole bunch of shows, ran amok, and uh, released an album in 2002 called Forma People Pa Mi Gente, uh, which of course you can check out on Spotify. And, and those, those who were there um, in Sydney at the time, in Australia at the time, I remember those days vividly. Um, they were pretty awesome times. And, um, and yeah, so th that's, that's the background musically. Uh, for what later became everything that I've been doing since. And your your main influence at the time is '90s hip hop, or is it going sure. further back, kind of '80s NWA days? Uh, so, so my story uh, probably begins um, as early as the late '80s, uh, no, no, no further back, um, but but much more so uh, early '90s hip hop. Yeah. So obviously, even like LL Cool J uh, crossing over from just gangster uh, hip hop itself, like uh, Dre, Park, Park was a huge influence for us in Australia. Obviously, Snoop, you know, all, all the people that, that we all know um, very well. Uh, so so they're, they're the guys that we grew up with. But then also the Latin side, because, you know, we're bilingual, right? So we're bicultural. So on one side, we'll be listening to with our Polynesian brothers and our, and our Australian brothers and our Aboriginal brothers in, in Australia. We'll be listening to um, gangster rap and hip hop and whatever. And then we will go home. And listen to like Gloria Stefan and uh, and uh, Buena Vista Social Club and like Cuban salsa and all these things. So essentially, uh, that's what you hear in in, in La Familia in in the the the, the album. Uh, you hear this fusion between hip hop and and mainly Cuban Latin sounds, which were very popular at the time. At this point, you're living in Australia. It's the nineties. Definitely, yes. Was there segregation there in terms of maybe the Latinos were yeah. able to connect with the Maoris, the Aboriginal, sure. and the Australians kind of pushed that aside? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, Australia definitely has uh, a, a racist uh, subtone. Uh, the, I mean, essentially worldwide we have that, right? That's not exclusive to any culture or country, unfortunately. Uh, it's that sort of fear of the different kind of thing, I think, that creeps in. But... Uh, Australia itself uh, is uh, incredibly multicultural. 
it is a very successful multicultural society, but there still is lots of friction between all the different races and all the different cultures uh, in Sydney, particularly when you go into areas like the west of Sydney, uh, where I was uh, brought up, uh, which at the time, and I think it still does, Fairfield, um, Campbelltown, Blacktown, I mean, those areas had the, the highest crime rates um, and the highest unemployment rates, unfortunately, and drug use rates um, in the country. Uh, so, yes, so it was, a, it was a clash of your Asian cultures, Southeast Asian, particularly Vietnamese, 5T gangs, LTH, um, and then you had, uh, you know, Polynesian crews in the mix, um, you know, UTB, um, uh, 2FK, uh, Mountie County, Mount Druitt, you know, all, all those, that side of the, of the spectrum. Obviously, you had Australian people themselves, which are generally, when we refer to Australians, we, we usually mean Anglo-Australians. Um, so, yes, the, the, there's, there's um, a lot of that. And then the Latinos, um, uh, much more uh, fun-loving uh, culture, not so uh, perhaps so aggressive or violent, much more music loving and dancing and so on, uh, but definitely in there, um, n not as many numbers um, as other cultures and uh, probably not as represented on that side of the spectrum, but with the music uh, and the dancing in particular and the culture very well represented in Australia like we are in the rest of the world where you go to these cities and there's a salsa club and there's a and there's like 10 dancing schools and there's like a latin festival popping off three four times a year you know so that's that's essentially what i grew up in and and later on obviously running myself with with events and nightclubs and festivals and this is all western sydney uh no no so so growing up in in, in western sydney uh, in my adolescent years um i went to to sporting high school westwood sports high school um but um, when 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 I finished my, my high school years, Mama, um, rightfully so, because she always wanted to get out of the hood, uh, she moved to, to uh, Bondi Beach, actually, which is the other spectrum, the other mm. end of the spectrum in Sydney. And, uh, and then that became, life became much more on the city side of things, which is a completely different um, reality. And, uh, and then most of the, the nightlife in Sydney occurs around the CBD, which is the central building district, around the city, traditionally, like most uh, cities in the world, downtown and so on. Uh, so, yeah, so, and, and for many, many years, uh, that, that's, that's been my reality uh, on that side of the, the town. I think from, I used to live in Australia, but just at the Gold uh -huh. Coast for school for a year or so. Sure. Doesn't what city? Uh, Southport, which oh, okay. is kind of... Brisbane. Main, yeah, Bris uh, okay. well, Gold Coast, like, sure, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, main, sorry. main Beach. My bad, yeah, Queensland. Not, not yeah. far from surfers. Okay, interesting. I was, I was 18 and just surfing, pretending nice. to go to school and drinking, so uh -huh. not much of an experience there. Right. Um, from the outside looking in, we, sure. we hear more and more about Western Sydney, especially guys from like Tai Tuivasa, which of course. Uh, you might be familiar of with. Of course. We don't really have the full picture. Sure. What is it like growing up there? Is sure. it as rough as they uh, project? It can be. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I, I'd come from uh, fun-loving, uh, kid-friendly, football-crazy, uh, running around on my bike every day, uh, Uruguay, uh, the, the Gold Coast of Uruguay. Never saw really any violence. I mean, we used to punch on, throw rocks at each other and whatever, like, like most kids did in primary. And then I go to English as a second language in a high school in Ashcroft, which is near the city of Liverpool in the west of Sydney. And there was literally an ambulance parked outside every day. Um, it was probably at the height of the heroin uh, explosion uh, in Australia, uh, and there was there was you know kids were carrying knives and things, um, 
but um, but still uh, not comparable to to true ghettos around the world. Like you know, like I'm talking like developing nation ghettos. But there's, there's there was and there still is uh, high levels of of, of of violence in all those uh, uh, parts of the city. Um, it still is you know unemployment uh, capital of 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 the country, unfortunately. Um, and um, you do have nowadays in particular lots of shootings, uh, still have a lot of stabbings. I mean, as recent as uh, three, four years ago, five years ago, Max, we had the famous uh, postcode wars, which involved a lot of the drill rappers in Australia, which is quite public and quite known about, and lots of the media covered it, um, as always, trying to uh, sell some advertising along the way, dramatization mm -hmm. and so on, trying to blow it up. But there definitely is an undertone in, in that area. Uh, generally, if you meet someone that's from that area, there's a perception of like, ooh, you're from C-Town, or, you know, like, ooh, you know, compared to the rest of the city. Having said that, um, there are uh, the majority of the people living in those areas are absolute clean-cut working families that have absolutely nothing to do with anything. And their kids live completely normal schooling lives uh going to and from work going to and from school without any sort of gang involvement or any sort of violence or anything happening to them so it, it's uh it's uh subtle and it's an undertone but it's definitely there i would say so and as you're growing up there you're getting sure. into the music scene primarily yes. hip hip-hop scene as well definitely working with uh your groups how did sure. that come to be like what was sure. the kickstart of all that sure good question well, essentially, um, you know, we, we would we would go to parties uh, and uh, and you know and start kicking little little bullshit freestyles and things and and you know aided by a few drinks and whatever else was going around at the time, and you know and your audience grows from you know a couple of your boys in the back of a car to you know ten or fifteen people at a barbecue and next thing you know your uncle who's a percussionist with one of the bands he's like hey man you should jump up on stage at the bar next time I'm performing. So you jump up at the bar and then, you know, you do that uh, often enough where, you know, you, you become noticed by more people that probably go to a certain club. Uh, at that time, it was called BJ's. It was probably the most common, well, the most famous uh, Latin American club in, in Sydney. And, you know, you get asked to, to jump on stage a lot more and then it becomes more of a job thing, a paid thing. Uh, for me, um, it was literally both worlds were happening at the same time. So I would jump up on stage with people on the hip-hop side, even as a percussionist, because I do have a bit of percussion in my background as well. Um, and then uh, I would start uh, rapping in English at open mic battles, um, uh, step forward down a good bar in Oxford Street in the city. And then at the same time, on that weekend, I'll be in the Latin club, salsa rapping with, you know, like the Sydney Latin All-Stars or Elvis Crespo was in town or Oscar de Leon. You know, all these big concerts will come from, from the big artists will come to Sydney and they would call me as the, you know, the, the Latino MC that would get up with the growing Latin hip-hop sound that was emerging at the time. So, uh, you know, and, and probably one more is then you get the phone call by, you know, the biggest... DJ crew in Australia, club joint, uh, club joint all-stars, DJ Moto, Peter Guns, Tickles, Demo. You know, you get the phone call and it's like, you know, we're about to open this club and it's club joint all-stars. You know, do you want to come? And I'm like, what? How much? 
and they literally paid they were paying me like four or five times what i thought that i would get paid <laughs> now, was, was this your yeah. kind of full-time job at this point yeah uh, yeah yeah so so i yeah i i literally yeah for years and years i haven't had a full-time job uh since uh 2001 <laughs> so, so yeah when did this click where yeah. you know it i don't want to say a hobby but it's like sure. you know maybe this could be a career sure. can you recall that time when you're like you know i think i got something here most definitely most definitely um yes so um basically it became a numbers game uh you know w when i saw that the paychecks were you know x and y i was like well i don't need to work anymore you know because i've I'm covered my rent is covered um, you know, I was involved with, with some other dumb shit a, as a kid, uh, which, which you know, uh, I could say was, was making me an earn as well. But um, it, it reached a point where, yeah, I was like, man, I, I don't need to work anymore. So so then I became, you know, like full-time weekend warrior, uh, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, Sundays. Um, and essentially, you know, in many ways, uh, still until this day. That lifestyle, it, it can be tiring. Sure. I mean, I've lived in Asia for 12 years. The weekend warrior, eventually sure. you burn out. Sure. Um, we we didn't touch upon this yet, but you've sure. done your ayahuasca trips and you have sure. your connection to plant medicine. Yes, thank you. When did that click where it's like, you know what, I, I need to explore other opportunities because maybe this can yeah. be a bit taxing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think the big difference with me is, is, is as much of a, as I have the wild child in me, I've always had this guy that uh, like balances it out. Um, so I, I think the biggest difference between myself and my peers is that I always remained in shape. I always ate uh, well enough. Uh, I've had my periods where, where, where I might be drinking or partying uh, or uh, maybe abusing uh, a little bit, but I would always balance it out with, uh, with the health, healthy lifestyle. Um, so I think that's very important for all of us, actually. Like if you have certain demons uh whatever those may be um i think it's very good to 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 balance out um so uh, fitness is very much a part of my lifestyle and i mean you you can't have uh, all this work if you don't have the right fuel uh so then that took me down a path of uh, nutrition uh, alternative nutrition alternative medicine alternative health aided by my beautiful mother and aided by my sister at the time who did some deep dives major major deep dives uh, well before uh, everybody else jumped on the the sort of um, yeah you're doing uh, ayahuasca you're, you if I, sure. I read correctly since 2014 yes w who introduced you to this okay that, that's a that's a very interesting one that one um, it, it's a, a lot of uh, synchronicities um, it kind of happened uh, by chance I must admit it was by chance um, and but the the seed was uh, planted by my father uh, who doesn't even remember planting it but in my early teenage years, obviously we're going a long way back, uh, 30 years ago or so, um, he mentioned to me for the first time ayahuasca. And th that's when I first heard it because I was bragging about like, you know, being a bit of a stoner and drinking and partying and trying to be a badass. And he kind of put me, he tried to shut me down a little bit and he said, oh, but our people in the jungles of, of our continent in South America, they drink ayahuasca. And that's the first time that I heard uh, the word ayahuasca used. Never looked into it, never read up on it, never did anything for, for years and years and years. But for some reason, it just kept coming back, calling me. And for those who have been involved with uh, psychedelics, particularly with ayahuasca, will tell you that there's a very spiritual, very uh, mysterious, magical perhaps, um, side to it. 
so she was there working me from a very young age. And, um, and one night I decided to go out uh, with my mother instead of getting takeout, uh, actually home delivery because it was raining heavily. And I happened to sit next to somebody who was talking about ayahuasca and was talking about an upcoming ceremony. And I interrupted her and asked a couple of questions. And she said, well, yes, and it's going to be, it's going to happen very soon. Uh, would you like to go? Yes. And there was no spaces left. She gave me her space. And that was my first ceremony in 2014. And it was an incredible, incredible experience. And I've been drinking. Um, yeah. I've been a, a space cowboy for, uh, for many, many years now, nearly 10 years, even drinking in the Amazon uh, for, for one week with the Hebedo tribes people um, in, the, uh, in the jungles of Peru. Um, in yeah. the city of Iquitos. I've, I've done ayahuasca once sure. in Copenhagen, but um, I, I found it, it just wasn't very authentic. Uh, sure. the, the It wasn't very potent. Sure. And the, the group of people I was with, I just found there's too many different energies. And sure. I've told this story sure. before. I actually kind of, I don't know if I would do it ever again with sure. a group. Sure. It's kind of like, I felt like, would you get a massage with a group of people as well. I, sure. I feel like it'd be very intimate and one-on-one. Mm -hmm. But I do remember my takeaways from it um, and, and what I needed to work on sure. and massage out. The first time you did ayahuasca, yeah. what was your biggest takeaway? Okay, so just just to, to perhaps your experience, and, and I've taken lots of people to, to ayahuasca, uh, lots of dear brothers and sisters, family members, friends, and uh, every single one of those uh, uh, people um, have returned and often returned very 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 much so uh and it's 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 a lifestyle change of life life changer for them as well as it was for me um i think the first thing i would say is it has to be done right uh, meaning it is a uh, when something is very serious and life-changing and so powerful um the energies are very important so I've, I've heard that many times i've heard some people say yeah it didn't feel right and if it didn't feel right it definitely wasn't right um, I, I don't know what it's like in Thailand. Um, I've never drunk in Thailand. I've only ever drunk essentially with one lineage of shamans, uh, essentially the, the two groups of shamans, one in Peru, the master shaman who taught uh, two of my uh, life uh, friends uh, in Australia. Um, uh, so I only really know one sort of experience. Um, uh, but um, yeah, uh, it, it the, the drinking by yourself or drinking in a group, uh, when the, the job is done right, I would say, um, the, the group experience uh, uh, heightens uh, to some extent the experience because, um, you know, it, there is a downside of being in a group, but there's also an upside, meaning there's all these energies that combine and everybody's there for the same reason. Uh, but having said that, uh, I have drank one-on-one -on -one, uh, in the middle of the Amazon jungle uh, with a 74-year-old uh, master shaman, and the, the experience was uh, equally powerful. Um, but yes, probably a lot more self-indulgent. Some people say with psychedelics, when sure. you get the message, hang up the phone, meaning even for myself uh, and, and, and using psilocybin. Yeah. Um, to be honest now, I don't, I don't use it anymore sure. because... I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's sure. the, the the circus show again. Close your eyes, do sure. your Terrence McKenna hero dose. Sure. Um, I don't feel you know, obligated to go after that sure, again. Sure. 
Can you relate to that? Have you, you yes. again, because you've said you've done ayahuasca over maybe 50 times. Yes. Are you getting the same message? Sure. Do you continue to make the phone call or do you ever feel it's time sure. to hang up the phone? Well, the first thing that I would say, having tried psilocybin many times, probably more on a microdose level, um, I will say that they, they are similar, but very different. So, uh, you know, uh, DMT, dimethyltryptamine, which is the, the active ingredient in ayahuasca, one of the many active ingredients, depending on the, the brew that the shaman prepares. Uh, we, we drink uh, 15 to 20 master plants when we drink in Australia uh, at one time in, in the brew. But uh, dimethyltryptamine is definitely the, you know, the uh, uh, hallucinogenic, and it is actually the most powerful one known to man. Uh, so uh, first thing that I would say is, um, can you compare the both? Yes. But definitely ayahuasca uh, is the queen, as she's called. Um, there are times when I have gone and sat and drank and felt like perhaps it wasn't as profound or perhaps the timing wasn't right or perhaps, um, you know, yep. it wasn't as good as other times. But every time that I've gone, I felt like I should be doing more of it. Yeah, some, sometimes I've kind of, when I have done it, sure. um, you... Yeah. If the waters are rough, sure. like you shouldn't go, well, peep, lunatics do, but don't go surfing in the, in the storm sure. and, and kind of be at, sure. at ease, which is, yeah. it's kind of a double-edged sword because most yes. people, they're going to do it because the sea is rough. Sure. But I think there's a certain point where you got to at least calm yourself down. Have you ever been into <laughs> this experience where you're like, shit, that sea was pretty rough. Right. Why did I do that? I will, I will bring up two for you, two things that come to mind. Uh, the first one is um, I had been drinking for a couple of years and I must admit I was a lot younger and dumber back then. And uh, I, I arrived at the ceremony and the shaman um, announced that we were drinking black ayahuasca. Now there's many colors in ayahuasca. Black is the strongest. And for whatever reason, um, I said to him, well, I, I think I was ready for something else. And I said to him, give me like a big dose. And it was very, very tough. Um, I, 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 that was as close as, as I've ever gotten to actually putting my hand up in ceremony and saying I need help. Uh, it has happened to others from time to time because it can be quite overwhelming. Uh, the whole point is for these, when you have deep-rooted problems, major problems in your life, there's no simple fixes. Big problems, big solutions. So um, you want to get those things out. So I've seen a lot of people uh, have really tough experiences. That's probably as tough as it got for me where the lights that come on, the visions that came on were so powerful, were so strong that I really didn't know what to do. I came back to my breath as you're supposed to do when times get tough, even in everyday life, and uh, the problems went away. Speaking of rough waters, um, my mother passed away uh, in uh, 2017. It was actually the, the toughest life experience that I had. She passed away on a Friday and I had a ceremony booked for Tuesday, the following Tuesday. I cancelled, but then I had a, 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 a second thought to go. And thank God that I did because it was the most incredible uh, ceremony that I've ever had because I spent the entire ceremony, so six, seven, eight hours, sitting next to my mother, uh, farewelling her, having our telepathic conversation together, and she reassured me of a whole bunch of things that I needed to hear. Um, obviously, most people sitting out there watching might be thinking, what the hell is that? That's 
you know, that's not possible. But this is what happened to me. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, profound experiences. And not for everybody, not all the time, but very much, I would say, much needed, particularly in today's toxic world uh, and toxic society. I think that there needs to be a return to, you know, to plant medicine. Well, it brings the the problems to the surface that might be embedded sure. deep in the, the subconscious. Sure. Um, I kind of look at plant medicine. It's similar to if you, if maybe you had a stomach cancer, let's say. Sure. Uh, the doctor needs to maybe do the ultrasound. They need to open you up. They need to first open you up. Sure. And see the issue and sure. then address the solution. Correct. Very similar to plant medicine. Yeah. It's only opening you up to address the, the problem. Sure. To find the solution, you need to do it on your own. Of course. When you've went through these experiences and you've seen the problem, yeah. and I know this, maybe it's not easy for a podcast, and, yeah. and it's never going to be one problem. It can no. be, there could be many. Multiple. Um, yeah. Some of them, they can come to the surface and you might not find the solution for years. Mm even trying year after year. Mm. Do you have any examples of that? Especially because I know anyone that's done this type of medicine can relate. Yeah, definitely. So um, I, think, I think the biggest problem we have is uh, modern society, we're so um, overstimulated, uh, by, mainly by screens, mainly by our phones. Um, ne never before has humanity been so contactable and so interrupted constantly. Um, and I think what happens is there's a huge disconnect with... Uh, everything that's happening inside our bodies and inside our minds where um, we we are either sick or getting sick and we don't even know it. So I think the benefit of working with plant medicine is it can make you very aware of these things. And as you say, it might take you a long time, but at least now you know at least that there's a problem there and it needs to be addressed. Uh, so that's probably uh, one of the probably psychological let's say benefits uh, in my in my um, opinion and those that i sit with is there's a physical side there's a physical element of the healing that ayahuasca brings to your body um, i've known people that have been healed i've healed myself funnily enough i'll share one with you uh, i spent a lot of time in nightclubs so my left ear became quiet uh, with a lot of tinnitus buzzing essentially and I killed myself uh, at a ceremony simply by paying attention to it and sending the healing there. And I no longer have it. And it Again, just disappeared? It just disappeared. Yeah, most people won't believe it or understand it. No, no, it, that's, but I'm, I'm just sharing yeah. openly yeah, what yeah. I know to be the truth. But then again, people at home, they can make up their own minds. Well, I think Paul that. Stamets had the, well, he did it with psilocybin where he had sure. a stutter and he kind of just addressed it during one of these uh, sure. Trips, let's say. Uh -huh. Well, I hadn't heard that, but I'm a very much a believer of that. But it, with or without, um, uh, the, you know, the effects, I think that we have a lot more power to heal ourselves. Uh, we're just not really taught that, uh, unfortunately. And, uh, and the way that everything works in this world is, you know, there's someone else to heal you. There's someone else to, well, fix you. There's someone else to, uh, you know, clean your house or even, uh, uh, you know, fix your car. Uh, but uh, your body, I think uh, you can do a lot more for yourself than, than we, we realize. Yeah, I, I guess a podcast is similar to psilocybin or even ayahuasca trip. We can talk all before what we're going to talk about. And then once you get started, the podcast... <laughs> we, did, we did say that, right? The, the podcast decides, <laughs> yeah, the podcast yeah, decides with the flow of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
let's put the the part of the story in connecting yourself into Thailand. Yes. And I know we don't want to go too deep into this part of your life. Sure. You touched upon that. You were involved in other stuff to make money by by a means and also uh, face some trouble. Yes. Um, I'm going to kind of leave that open and allow you to tell your part of the story. Have you shared it very openly, publicly before? Yes. And um, with our audience, um, let them know a little bit like, what happened? What was the experience? And sure. what did you learn from that? Sure, not a problem. Uh, essentially, um, I learned that uh, crime does pay, but it's, it's not worth it. Um, so I, I was very young and dumb and, and, and definitely surrounded by the wrong people. Um, there, you can argue forever uh, about uh, what happens uh, when uh, your surroundings, uh, uh, do they determine who you become or do they not? In my case, I definitely believe that my surroundings uh, led me to act or believe or, or take certain values um, with me, and that led me to uh, a life of, of crime, essentially, as a, as a, as a teenager, uh, early 20s, um, which is you know, usually when these things happen. Uh, young men, uh, <laughs> that's when they join the army or join gangs or whatever. Uh, so uh, I did uh, seven years uh, in, in jail in Sydney, uh, for conspiring to to import uh, drugs into Australia, uh, the the total sentence was eleven years, uh, from two thousand and three to two thousand and ten, uh, and and I came out and served four years on the outside. Uh, during my time in parole, I began the career which which uh, well the career had become previously begun previously with the music, but interrupted for seven years, and then I came back and continued on that path. Um, what I learned is that uh, yeah. Uh, 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 it's definitely not worth it. Family suffers the most. I, I will never forgive myself for putting my mother through uh, what I did and also my sister. And um, But at the same time, uh, great life lessons. The school of life continues as it does. Uh, you can uh, take whatever you want from it, but you can't be uh, too concerned with uh, could have, should have, and would have. Uh, so I took all those lessons with me. It's definitely made me a lot stronger and definitely a lot more appreciative uh, because even things like food, uh, you know, um, I still cherish till this day every every plate of food uh, that's on the table, um, and um, and yeah, generally, I mean, if if you if you sat me in a room full of people that are up to dumb shit, I'm the first one to tell them, you know, tell them straight, uh, because that that path is uh, only leads to to one or two things, and that is uh, end up in jail uh, or live a an incredibly uh, stressful in a life and position you don't want to be in. So, Yeah, most people that have maybe, I don't want to say most to make the assumption, but people maybe have lived that life and they come out, that might be all they know and they can easily fall back into it. What did you do to kind of uh, take yourself to the next level and leaving it behind? Oh man, for me it was, uh, I mean, uh, thankfully for me, um, I had this this passion uh, for music and for for, uh, everything that comes with music. Um, I do see a lot, a lot of other boys. I can't speak about girls because I didn't do time with girls, but I do see a lot of them uh, come out without that um, identity, without that passion um, to fall back into. Let's say um, so. That was the thing for me, and basically, I just said to myself, "I'm not going back in." Um, and and thankfully. Um, I did what I did and, and it began paying off slowly and it, and it was building. So that kept me, kept me very focused. 
um, and on the path again that, that that that's led me to where I am sitting with you uh, today in 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 beautiful Phuket. You know? Now you've been traveling to Thailand for yes. quite some time. Yes, as it's so close to Australia. Sure. What is it about Thailand that's kind of brought you to live here? How did sure. you make that decision? Sure. And to go more in depth on that question, yeah. tell us that the day, if you can recall, of like, fuck it, I'm going. Sure. So uh, pre pre pandemic, uh, the 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 idea had already been in my mind for some time. Um, as much as I love Australia and I appreciate Australia for everything it's done for me, um, I kind of felt like that there had to be more. And, and this is a sentiment shared by many people in Australia, but also many people across the, the Western world. Um, I think that um, a lot of the things that made our countries amazing, uh, a, a lot of those values of particularly of freedom um, are eroding, unfortunately. And then, of course, there's things like the cost of living, and, and which makes life even more prohibitive. But, um, you know, I, I had this yearning for, for something else. And then uh, prior to COVID, I did my, fir my first true, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, finding out uh, trip uh, to Bali. Uh, didn't really like Bali. And my second one was to Thailand, but then the border shut. So my first trip post-COVID was to Thailand, which was last year. And within a week of me being here, even though I was uh, way up north with, uh, with the wife's family, um, I realized that this is probably the place that I wanted to be, you know. Um, there's something in the air here. There's something in the land. The people are beautiful. Um, uh, the weather plays uh, a big role for me, plays a big role for me. Um, I like the warmer temperatures. Um, cost of living, obviously, uh, can be a lot more affordable and you can do things that you probably can't do in our countries. Um, obviously, the legalization of cannabis uh, played a factor in my decision. But also, in my case as well, is um, I'm excited about doing uh, a lot of events and things uh, that, that I've been doing uh, in my wearing my nightclub uh, festival promoter in Australia. Uh, and, and Spain, because I did do some work over there as well. I'm excited to do some of those things here because it's a playground. You know? Do you see yourself kind of setting up an events company and getting more heavily involved in Most Thailand? Definitely, yeah. Or what, what's your, your like timeline and horizon for that plan? Sure. So um, I, my, my flagship uh, brand uh, in, in, in Australia called Candy, with a K, um, I brought that to Thailand. Um, in Australia... Again, quite prohibitive, so there's not much we can do over there um, except r run nightclubs and boat parties and festivals and things, which is amazing in itself, but um, I feel like in Thailand there's so much more than can be done. And, um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that in the next uh, six months, and even this high season, there's already talks. Uh, I'm really tempted to say some of the things that we're talking about, but I won't be doing it right now because... I don't want to jinx it. And I, and I look forward maybe to coming back one day and, and, and sharing some of those achievements or some of those cool cool things. But, um, but yeah, very much so. I think there's a lot that can be done here. I think uh, Phuket uh, is amazing in so many ways. But I think if you look at Bali as an example, which has taken an island which is nowhere near as complete, nowhere near as beautiful, nowhere near as developed, as Phuket, and they've turned it into quite a destination when it comes to particularly nightlife uh, with all the beach clubs and everything. Yeah, there's um, a lot of potential here yes. still. Yes. Um, I just think there's a lot of red tape and it, things take sure. time. 
Um, so you're planting those seeds. Those yes. those irons are in the fu- on yes, the fire. Ma'am. Now Definitely. you have a couple plants planted seeds that have you know fruited. Sure. They're fruiting now. Sure. Yeah. Um, Literally, your candy, your candy brand sure. now. Uh, yes. and we and we can talk about this like on, on the marijuana side. Sure. Um, yeah. You've you've gotten to this side of the business, and you also have a restaurant. Yes. When did these ideas? And that's what I love about entrepreneurs. Everything yes. starts in here. Yes, definitely. And then it comes to life. Yes. When did this all start and, and when did it kind of sure. come to fruition? Well, I mean, um, cannabis, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a grower, far from it. Um, never had much involvement with it except uh, maybe selling a little bit when I was a kid uh, and smoking a lot of it. Uh, but um, but um, cannabis, I kind of fell into it. Um, there was a whole a series of conversations uh, with people from my side, but also people from from my wife's family, uh, local family, obviously. Uh, there's some connections there with... Uh, um, Your wife is Thai? Yes, okay. yes. So, so there's, some, there's some family members in the army and so on, which um, gave me a little bit of confidence as far as having someone that I can call for, for advice. Uh, and also, I, th- I think, uh, and th- this would be my recommendation to anybody thinking of doing something in Thailand, you know, local networks are... Get, get a Thai wife. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mean, uh, e- even my girlfriend's sure. Thai, and that's, sure. I think that's going to be the success of what we're doing too. Uh-huh. It's very important, I think, uh-huh. but it is what it is. Well, look, whether it's through wife or whatever whatever it is that you need to, to get the, the, the local um, knowledge and experience and backing. Um, but yeah, so Cannabis, uh, we have a, a large uh, indoor uh, commercial facility in Chelong, out of all places. Um Many people that have been began visiting the farm are saying industry people saying that it's the biggest one. I don't know because it's not like there's a, you know, there's not a study being done on this. But we're doing uh, very busy, doing quite well over there, and uh, and and firing away and bringing out lots of high quality strains uh, from overseas. Uh, everything legal, everything above ground, and hoping too that um, we will begin to see some sort of a tightening or or a crackdown on the regulations because right now it's a bit of a free-for-all and um, we've got all this illegally imported stuff coming in from all over the place uh, and me being a farmer obviously I would very much welcome uh, the, the so-called incoming uh, yeah, I, th- I think the wild west will it will calm down soon just in yeah. terms it's more enforcement on their side sure. which I, I think you'll probably start to see over this high season sure um, shutting down certain shops with proper Perhaps. licenses as well mm. um Touching upon your, your experience with yes. psilocybin and sure. ayahuasca, yes. do you, would you ever see uh, yourself maybe getting involved in retreats in Thailand if that becomes legal? Sure. This is a very, very good question, and I am uh, amazed at uh, your uh, skills. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, so we that's very much on the drawing board. Uh, both myself uh, and um, a growing uh, number of people in our circles are calling for that. Uh, so we, we are very much, it's actually on a, on a piece of paper with a group of lawyers, uh, which are looking into where we are exactly, what can be done, um, because there seems to be a trend uh, for the country to be, I believe, rightfully so, uh, looking at legislations where we can decriminalize a few of the more medicinal aspects. Uh, I know that Kratom even uh, has become a, it became legal, right? Uh, yeah, but they you can't sell it legally in Thailand. It's for export. A lot of these countries sure. do this, like China too. They sure. do CBD flour, but you can't sell it sure. in China. Sure, sure, Of course, because, sure, sure. well, they can get it out. Oh, no, it's someone else's problem kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I get it. So they get to uh, monetize it, 
and put taxes on it and not not have not, it in not their deal country. with it. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. But I think like you're saying, um, it, it's it's a question of time. Sure. We're we're looking into psilocybin products. We sure. I've submitted some formulas uh-huh. to the FDA. Sure, we have some connections there, and we're uh-huh. just gonna find and see what see what happens. The the problem in Thailand with products and FDA and stuff like yeah. this, you can get the stamp of approval today. Sure. I can build a whole product line, a store, a warehouse, sure. put it all in there, and tomorrow they can say, you know what. Never mind. We'll change that one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, that it can yeah. get a bit dangerous sure, there. Sure. But going on the retreat side, Yo, this is, sure. I, I initially, I actually built this company for the psilocybin. I thought not, not so much from the profit side and entrepreneur side of, oh, I want to make money. It was more, I saw cannabis becoming legalized and I said, psilocybin is going to follow suit and that's an interesting business for me for microdosing so i'm going to start a mushroom company with legal stuff so once it becomes legal and i have a brand i just turn the key yes so you have the the infrastructure and then the knowledge already same with a brand like candy you can do the same and bringing in these products sure the question on the the retreats that's all i've thought about this but it always crosses my mind yeah even as the business owner even maybe as a silent partner when you open up a retreat you're going to bring in people looking to cure something or with a problem. And they're right. going to be bringing a certain energy. Sure. And energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be transferred. And that's Correct. one of my fears. Yes. If you start this and that those stories are going to take a toll on you. Has this gone through your mind? Right. So <clears throat> uh, the shamans uh, that I know very well um, deal with this um, issue um, several times a month. Um and uh, it is incredible, uh, the work that they do. Um, unfortunately for them or for anyone involved in, in healing, um, this is something that uh, that's almost like your reason for being. Uh, yes, uh, I think there will be some people who are on the lighter end of the spectrum, and there's people that are going to need a lot more attention. Um, I think uh, there is a process, and, and don't quote me on this, but there is a process of filtering out or at least uh, classifying uh, people's uh, needs with questionnaires and so on. But ultimately, in a sick world, in a toxic world, I think you're going to come across a lot of these people. And ultimately, again, that's the reason for being. So, um, it's Well, no, just not so much in like a very negative side. I mean, just emotions they have sure. to get out. How do the shamans um, uh, yeah. digest that after? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I can speak on what I've seen and what I've heard. Uh, generally speaking, in a circle... Uh, when someone is in need, um, they are escorted out of the room, uh, out of the you know the ceremonial room, and taken outside and sat with for a period of time. Calm down. They do use like some uh, uh, mapacho, some some tobacco um, or sage. To, yeah, 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 similar to sage. Yep, uh, to 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 help with the cleanse and to calm them down. Usually in front of a fire. The fire is very relaxing for humanity. We all know that. Um, so um, that's what I've seen and that's what I've experienced, but not, not, not so much with myself or not that I've had to do it. Um, but um, I think that's pretty much how it's handled. Uh, and um, it's, it's uh, incredible to see uh, people who you would uh, define as normal <coughs> Sorry, on the day that you meet them pre-ceremony and post-ceremony you find out that perhaps they've been uh, sexually abused as kids or they have these like major, 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 uh, deep, deep uh, rooted um, um, emotional um, uh, troubles, mm. you know. Uh, so yes, 
I, I can't really say much else because I'm not a practitioner myself, but that's what I've seen over the years, brother. Yeah, it's, um, again, it's kind of like, how do you, wh where does that energy go? And it, that, that's, it's a very confusing part. And because and, and somebody, yeah. you, you need them to help out as well. I um, think I think just the, just on that though I think that the plants themselves I mean because I've had a conversation uh, with people where um, you know it's it's because uh, it does it can get quite cultish um, these these uh, groups I've, I have heard stories of other people's groups getting a little cultish uh, ultimately um, the the beautiful thing about plant medicine is it's you and the plant and and usually the plant is doing the work with you or for you um so you know i think it's just a matter of probably the right dosage the right environment and give it time and then those people would, would more than likely heal themselves because ultimately the shaman is not healing anybody mm -hmm. it's the plant and the person that's doing the work and that's why ayahuasca we refer to it in our circles one of the many names is the work because it is it's it's just everybody's there to work not to it's not recreational. You're not there for a party. Is it? You know? Is it even a Spanish word, or is it like a tribal word from the from the jungle? Like, where's this word derived from? Ayahuasca. What's the meaning? Sure, ayahuasca is is uh, it, it comes from what was in South America the mother tongue uh, of um, of most of the tribes. It originated with the Guarani people. It's a Quechua language, which was even spoken by a lot of the Inca tribes. Um, and uh, 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 north, south, east, and west, Quechua was like the English of the indigenous people of South America, what English is today. Uh, ayahuasca um, means essentially uh, rope to the other world or rope to the world of the dead, uh, to the spirit world, essentially. Um, and for those who don't know, um, ayahuasca uh, in its purest form is uh, two uh, plants which are, are digested together. So out of the 150 to 160,000 plants in the Amazon jungle, um, the indigenous people of, of Latin America learned that two plants had to be consumed together for them to work out of the 150,000. In their own uh, stories, uh, it was whilst uh, uh, taking uh, uh, mapacho because you, you can actually you can actually trip on tobacco. They do these brews with tobacco which can be quite dangerous actually um and and they call that the grandfather and the grandmother is ayahuasca so drinking mapacho they got this message put that plant and that plant together ayahuasca itself is a vine that wraps around trees and chocruna is a a tree that actually has an incredibly high level of dmt in it DMT is found in every plant, in every every living thing on so the planet. It's in us now. It's in us now. That's right. The famous third eye, the pineal gland, produces uh, enough uh, DMT to get the party started. Um, but so uh, we have um, a, an enzyme in our stomach. It's in that inhibits uh, the ability for us to digest uh, any DMT. So people aren't just walking around high. Tripping. Correct. <laughs> right. So it's a safety mechanism. Hence, why you can smoke it right, DMT, and have the effects instantly. To drink it, it has to be together with uh, the, the inhibitor that blocks that enzyme in your stomach. And that's found in the ayahuasca vine. The name comes from the vine, but actually the DMT comes from chocruna, mm. at least in the, in the Americas. Other, other peoples of the world, and there's evidence of even like the Aboriginal people of Australia, 
they were consuming yellow acacia, which is also very high in DMT. So then you drink the two together, the ayahuasca vine goes in, blocks the inhibitor, and then the chukruna uh, goes in and the DMT enters your bloodstream and does all the work that it does. Yeah, I had friends making it uh, when I was living in China. Sure. And they were using it from the root of the Confucius tree. Uh-huh. It's and, everywhere. And they would find, they were using different Chinese medicine. Like, so again, they had to use two plants in China to mix. Correct. And they were making ayahuasca as yeah. well. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't do it at the time. I was probably, I don't know what year, 2012. So I think that was the like, right time for it. Yeah. Well, I, I was too young. To, I was like, Thir- 29 or yeah. no 20 no 26 sure. and um they would tell me that oh yeah we're making this we go out to this forest and we do it and we puke in buckets this yeah. is way before rogan brought this out sure. so like, i don't know what the fuck you're doing but no sure sure yeah <laughs> i don't know if, and they weren't yeah. really doing it in ceremonies they're doing it like yeah. recreationally right so i was like ah, i'm good well yeah so you do have a lot of that uh and you bring up uh 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 Vomiting. So vomiting is, is a big thing that a lot of people speak about because obviously it's not a pleasant experience. Um, so the, the vomiting, uh, w- one of the many nicknames of ayahuasca in, in, uh, in the Americas is la purga, which means the purge, mm-hmm. uh, because pretty much everybody that drinks ayahuasca purges. Funnily enough, me, I've never purged. Never, not once. I don't know what that means. I have purged in other ways because you can purge. You can cry, laugh, piss, Thank you. shit. Correct, correct. And, and particularly the first time that I drank... I went to the bathroom and so much so that I became concerned with what was coming out, the amount. Mm. And I was like, when is this going to stop? I mean, mean, imagine diarrhea for... The rest of my life. (laughs) Well, for three minutes. Yeah. Four minutes. Like, I'm talking quite intense. And and, and I had fasted for for two days. So it was was very interesting. But... um, uh, uh, that brings you back to uh, this whole physical, psychological, emotional cleanse that happens. Uh, for a lot of people, it could be a cancer that they have or was incoming. It could be something emotional. It could be psychological. Uh, I've seen stuff that comes out of people's bodies into the buckets, and it's physically impossible for that to be in your stomach. I'm talking black, petrol, petroleum-like oils, uh, Things that look like bugs and insects, uh, you know, parasite looking, but nothing that you could classify as a parasite. Um, and like a couple of liters of stuff as well. Uh, so none of that makes sense to the, uh, you know, the, the conventional mind. Yeah, I, when uh, I did it, I didn't puke. I, I couldn't stop yawning. The yawns. Are I was incredible. yawning so yeah. much yeah. and I... F- I, at one point sure. I tried to puke. I'm like, everyone's puking. So I yeah. like kind of gag myself. <laughs> I'm like, what the? I don't think you were deep yeah. enough. No, no, I, no. I don't think I, you were deep enough. Um, yeah. it was, they said it wasn't strong enough. Sure. They checked sure. out the crowd and I was the only guy and I was kind of this size. Mm. So that they, they brought it. I won't go too detailed because they don't sure. want to share that, but how sure. they brought it, it was legit. Sure. And they made it, they, first they see the crowd and then sure. they make it there. Well, the other thing too, I do know this for a fact, is that the first time that you drink, they always give you a lighter dose. And that's the right thing to do because you don't want to, you know, s- s- tip someone over the edge uh, too early. Um, so I'm not surprised that you didn't go too deep. I, I do remember my first experience. It wasn't the strongest either. So, but uh, you're entitled to feel but a little bit But then we did the, the Hopa? Yeah, Hape. Uh, Hape. Hape. Yeah, hape. Fuck, yeah. that one I didn't. I did, I did yeah. one nostril. Sure. I didn't do the second one. Sure. Like, I felt like I could not breathe. Yeah. I was like, oh, 
Oh yeah. my. And they're like, you want the other one? I'm like, they're like, you have to balance. I'm like, sure. I'll die if I take the next sure, one. Sure, I sure. should have. In sure. retrospect, I should have. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, this turned into an ayahuasca podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that going, is, it is what it is. McKenna. <laughs> how, 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 how deep are, what time is it? One hour? Sure. 56. Hey, uh-huh. I, at least I time it close. Very good. Um, okay. Awesome. Well, well, we'll have to do another one. Um, Anytime. Yeah. Before we, before we wrap it up, speaking sure. about McKenna. Sure. Um, I heard an interesting, I, I, he's got, yeah. obviously no SoundCloud. Yes. So on SoundCloud, there's something called the psychedelic salon and it's okay. it's uh i forget glasgow glasgow laszlo that's the guy that has the account okay super famous anyone that knows what i'm about to say knows what i'm talking about you go on soundcloud and you type in the psychedelic salon and you try to find laszlo when you type on when you click on that he has thousands of uh terence mckenna um uh, I don't want to say meetings, like conferences sure. done at like in San Francisco at um, uh, what's that school there? Anyways, um, so you go on there and you listen yeah. to it, put that on and go for a walk. It's the only place where you can find like three hours of Terrence McKenna talking. Very interesting. And when you listen to this guy talk, yeah. he is a word. Have you uh-huh. have you listened to him? Uh, only oh, bits and pieces. My God, an absolute wordsmith. Sure. So the reason Worth I brought this up, he yeah. came up with an interesting point. And it's it's a bit out there. Yeah. He said he believes that like mushrooms, right. um, because he believes ayahuasca is like Mother Earth. It's the guy. It's the sure. mother. But he believes that mushrooms, psilocybin, sure. is alien technology. Yes. He believes that it's come from another planet millions of years ago. Sure. And aliens have planted it here to communicate with us. And that's sure. why when we, it's the only way that when we take it, yeah. that's how we're accessing like this other, uh, um, I don't know, interdimensional Real. beings or yeah. shit like that. Sure. He's like, because of the distance between the stars that sure. they thought that by using this, this is the technology sure. to communicate with them. Anyways. Well, <laughs> what I will say, what I will say is that I have read that even in the scientific world, they have a hard time placing mushrooms in either fauna or flora. They believe that it, that it kind of deserves its own classification. That itself already tells you that perhaps Something what else. this man is saying is real. And then you've got people who talk about the stone ape theory, yep. which involves mushrooms as well, and what it did to apparently to the ape brains, which then led us to us maybe perhaps becoming uh, humans. But I think we can probably do an entire series, yeah, yeah, of, yeah, not yeah. on one podcast, series of podcasts and a lot of these so-called conspiracy theories. But I'm, I'm in tune, yeah. bro. I, li- I like... Yeah, I like no, <laughs> that's one of the main reasons I got into yeah. to Mushrooms. Was, sure. Um, it was yeah. pretty much listening to Rogan and Paul Stamets in 2016 and understanding the product. Yes. And uh, one day, I think it was, as we wrap this up, it was like yeah. three years ago. Sure. I do electronics manufacturing, so I make LED displays. And I kind of just was woke up one day. I'm like, what value do I add to this world? Right. Sure, they're great. They're cool. Sure. They're awesome. Sure. But like when I leave, like what did I leave? A bunch yeah. of fucking electronics. So yeah, I yeah, yeah, thought, yeah. what's your passion? And let's find it. I said, you know what? It's for mushrooms. And I went down the road. I'm like, I'm going to make the best quality mushrooms. I'm going to understand it. I'm going to understand why companies in the U.S. don't use the best, and obviously profits. And I'm going to offer the best, and I'm going to make it in Thailand. And it's great once you find those passions because I'll wake up at like 5 a.m. and like jump out of bed because I'm like, i got so much shit to do. And it's, yeah. well, 
Man, I mean, kudos to you, bro. I, I think that's that's an important point. Most of us uh, uh, think uh, success uh, in terms of money, right? Um, but what, what we don't realize, uh, and as a generalization, is that success, money comes with success, right? And if you're doing whatever job it is that you, you know, you, you made yourself do, uh, then the money will come. So, uh, you know, it very much seems like you decided to go for something that you were passionate about and believed in, and you've turned it into a career. So congratulations, because not many people, uh, percentage-wise, in the world uh, can do that. But I think yeah, that's what we all should be trying to it's, do. Thank you, but it's also, I'm, I'm a bit fortunate, meaning yes. like I have a full-time job. Sure. I do electronics manufacturing. Sure. That pays sure. enough for me to, if none of this work, like this, right. this podcast has zero monetization. I hear you, yes. So I've done this three years, yes. but for most people that do want to start their passion in yeah. the business, yeah. you need something else paying the bills. Most definitely. Or you can't just start. I hear you. And that's I very you. difficult. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Listen, I know we're about to wrap yep. up, so I just wanted to, uh, I brought you some gifts. Oh, okay. Uh, if, awesome. if I can share them with you. Yeah, for That's sure. That's why I got my little backpack here. I don't know if this is a, is a tradition for you or for you guys, but. Only the good guest. <laughs> uh, only, well, okay, well then I'm a good guest. Oh, First of all, which camera we're going for? Uh, this. Awesome. Okay. I say limited edition MC Ruffer uh, cap for you, sir. Perfect. Thank, thank you. you. Very much. No, thank you. Uh, I also have. Uh, one of our Candy Thailand uh, uh, t-shirts. There it is for you, sir. Thank you. I did bring you an L. Uh, if well, it's the wrong size, we can always adjust. Oh, yeah. Well, and also, <laughs> I brought you a selection of our finest uh, Keef Coated Premium uh, Candy uh, joints. Uh, I don't know if you know what that looks like, but uh, you've got a selection there uh, for you to enjoy. That's our premium. This is what uh, Joy was saying on the podcast yeah. before. She's yeah. specifically on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, she did? Yeah, yeah. Okay, She's awesome. She's like, oh, I love them. <laughs> oh, man. God bless her. Beautiful people we're yeah. finding here in Phuket, man. Everyone, Everyone's yeah. here to lift each other up, yeah. I think. So here you go, man. Thank you so much. No, you're welcome. Thank awesome. You. Thank you much for having appreciated. me, man. My pleasure. And um, right before we wrap it up, as, yes. as I always do, I'm going to shoot it. So there we go. <laughs> smells phenomenal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot it... Uh, back to this camera to you and sure i'll put all the links in the description if you Thank could you. just let the audience know uh into this camera exactly sure. every uh where they're able to contact you or find you sure. for all your all your different businesses sure yes ladies and gentlemen el rafa aka mc rafa live from phuket thailand the fruiting body podcast you can find me on spotify you can find me on youtube you can find me on instagram el rafa official el rafa mc I'd love to connect with all of you, man. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. We will put all the links in the description. There's so much we didn't go over, but your, sure. you had your podcast, you have yeah. your own YouTube channel. I mean, yes. it's hard to wrap it up in an hour, so we'll definitely have to do it Thank again. Um, that ends another episode. Big shout out. Thanks, Rafa, for coming Thank on. You. Thank and you. we are out. <laughs>